So I don't know if you know this, but uh, 2020 is going to introduce itself uh, to all of you on Wednesday, whether you like it or not. 2020 is upon us. Can you imagine that? 2020, you're a part. And Pettigrew, you're going to be a part of 2020, right? All right, praise the Lord for that. Hey, a high percentage of the people in this room, outside of this room, are going to make what's called New Year's. That's right. Uh, I know that you're going to be making a few of those. According to a recent internet poll, by the way, when I say that you can't believe anything I'm going to say right now, if I say internet poll, you can't believe any of it, but it's probably true. Uh, Here are some of the most popular New Year's resolutions for 2020. And let's just think for a moment if maybe some of yours are on the list. Uh, One, number one, believe it or not, was pay off debt. Pay off debt. Uh, Number two was to low, lose some weight. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I feel your pain. I've had that on my list for about 20 years now. I'm not committed to it because I love to eat. However, I do want to show you kind of before and after pictures of myself during the holidays. Yeah. Yeah, I would be the one on the right. Yes, many of you say, say preach. Eventually we're going to get to the Bible. Um, uh, here's one uh, uh, as, as far as the top five or six here. Uh, improve your social life. Okay, interesting. Uh, here's one. Uh, learn a new skill. And, and this, it, only in California do we even read such a thing. This is actually on the list. It's true. Be more green, echo-friendly. Oh, for the love of God, eat tacos, right? Okay, so spiritually speaking, though, have you thought of some goals that you personally want to achieve in 2020? I mean, seriously, some spiritual goals. Have you, have you thought through that? Uh, let me give you a statistic that I think you'll find helpful, that after 10 years of research by LifeWay, it stated two things about spiritual maturity. Two things. Let me give you both of them. Bible engagement, the same way to Bible reading, Bible engagement, the same thing, is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. Number one. Uh, Number two, Bible engagement affects every other discipline. Okay, that's what 10 years of research has told us, and you probably already knew that. For those of you who do decide to read your Bibles consistently, here's the good news. You are going to grow. You're going to grow if you read God's Word. You're going to mature if you read God's Word consistently daily. You are going to be the people who can be counted on to give more, go more, and evangelize more because we don't just read the Word, we do what the Word says. We obey, we abide, right? So these are things that you already know, but yet it's helpful as I set up the teaching uh, this morning. If you want to mature as a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to consider something. I'm going to ask you to consider something in this upcoming year, 2020. Um, We have provided for the church a 2020 five-day reading plan. Now, this is kind of interesting because you think, well, why not read it every day? Well, of course you should read it every day, but sometimes people get sick or we miss a day, and then sometimes we miss a day, we get all discouraged, and then we just stop. This will give you some time to work through some things. If, if you were to miss a day, you got sick, or maybe you are studying for sisterhood or whatever, you would have some, some movement there. You would have some flexibility. 
So there's a five-day there's a five-day Bible reading plan, and it's on our church website. And if you were to go to LakeshoreCityChurch.com, and then at the top, it, this is what's going to be on there. But at the top of Lakeshore City Church, it says sermons and resources. Sermons and resources. If you click that little button, it's going to show you the five-day reading plan. Click it on it. It's on the top left-hand corner, and that's what's going to come up. Really easy, simple to do. It's not digital. I promise you. No matter your IQ, you're going to figure this sucker out in about two seconds. You got this. So if you're interested in that, you would simply go to our website or talk to anybody, and we can get you uh, in the right direction. Okay, so that's the five-day reading plan. But here's what we know for sure. We need to have a plan. We've got to have a strategy to grow as Christians. There needs to be a strategy. We need to have some goals. We need to know what our purpose is the Westminster Shorter Catechism helps us by stating it clearly in question one of that catechism as it says, what is the chief end of man? What a question. And the response or the answer to that is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What is your purpose is another way to say that in, in, in our English, and that would be this. To glorify God. Not self, God. How do I, as a Bible-believing Christian, glorify God? The Apostle Paul, who penned the letter that we're getting ready to examine today, is writing to a young pastor whose name is Timothy. Timothy, like you and I, needs a plan. He needs to be reminded of that plan. But we don't want Timothy to get caught up in his plan. We want Timothy, like us, to get caught up in God's plan. You see, the focus is always on God, not on self. This isn't self-help. This is how do I glorify God. You see, the Bible, that you might have learned by now, is 66 books, and all of it is a story about God. How do we glorify God? So my sermon title this morning, again, is A 316 Christmas and Beyond. Beyond because we're beyond Christmas, right? And our text is 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. So if you are there, would you please stand? Let me know you are there. And then we're going to read God's Word together. So let's honor the Word of God. It says, I, Paul, I write these things to you, Timothy, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct, conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. He, Jesus, was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached amongst the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory so reads god's holy and inerrant word you now may be seated paul's purpose statement paul's goal his purpose statement for writing first timothy can be summed up in one verse the main point the main idea of this book is found literally in verse 15 which we just got done reading but let's look at it again he says this but if i should be delayed Timothy, 
I have written, it's a letter, I have written this letter so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul knows something. He knows that behavior will never be changed unless someone is born again. We can have change with willpower, but it's not lasting. How's the willpower going on your New Year's resolution last year to stop eating cookies and Captain Crunch? Willpower ain't going to cut it. But I'm talking about something a lot more significant. We need to be born again. We need to be regenerated. So we look at this, Paul, knowing that behavior is never going to be changed unless one is truly saved. Paul knows that a true believer, if someone truly is in Christ, truly born again, they are going to love the church. They're going to love the church. They're going to love truth. The church is the foundation and pillar that holds up the truth. Paul knows that. That's why we're looking at this text. It declares that. It uncovers that for us this morning. The truth, the truth, is the divine revelation which includes the truth of the gospel, the content of the Christian faith. Truth is important. Truth is important, and it's on display in the verses before us this morning. But brothers and sisters, we've got to be careful with truth because sometimes we've got to say, this is the truth, truth. Like the truth may not just be the truth. Some would even say the truth, truth, because you know what I mean. This is the truth, the gospel truth. The church does not invent the truth. Someone say amen. The church does not alter the truth. Say amen. The church is to guard the truth, to support the truth, and then safeguard the truth. Amen. That is what the church does. One of the functions, one of the modes of the church. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, the truth, which is God's word, is a saving treasure. A treasure given to sinners for their forgiveness and to believers for their sanctification and edification so that they might live for the glory of God. Clear, accurate statement. Nobody that's a believer would disagree with that. But we hold up the truth. How do we hold up the truth? What does that look like? Well, we hold up the truth by, number one, we've got to believe the truth. Number two, we've got to obey the truth. And number three, memorize the truth. Memorizing truth doesn't save anybody. It's just the byproduct of someone who's truly redeemed, that they want to memorize Scripture. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says in Psalm 119.11, talking about memorizing the truth, it says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Talking about memorizing Scripture. Uh, here's one. Uh, uh, meditating on the truth. Do you do that? Well, Christians are to meditate on the truth. As a matter of fact, in Joshua 1.8, it says this, this book of instruction uh, must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Joshua 1.8. We need to study this truth. It's different to just read the Bible as it pertains, or it's different to read. There's, there's difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible, right? 
We've got to study the Bible. We need to, to be people as Christians, not just pastors, not just elders. We need to all be ready to defend the truth of the Gospel. The Bible teaches us in Philippians 1.16, I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. We need to be defending the Gospel. But brothers and sisters, we cannot do any of the things that I have said unless you and I become or are people of the book. The Bible. God's Word. We need to be people of the book. Remember we went through Nehemiah verse by verse. Here was a verse you might have recognized from that time that we did. It's in Nehemiah 8.1. It says this, All the people gathered together. Let's just call that the church. They assembled. They all gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra, let's call him the preacher, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Let me go back to that. They, let's look at that again. They, the people, the congregation, the people, they said, hey, bring out the book of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Bring out that book. Not the self-help book. Bring out that book. We want that book. He says, bring out that book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Nehemiah 8, 1. What happened to these people? It's the same thing that happens to anybody who loves Christ, that loves God. They become people of the book. They become people that say, just give us the Bible. I don't need gimmicks. I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I was brought, it was brought to my memory a little earlier today, and I was hoping that I might remember this. I didn't write it down. But there was a man that I know who was going to a church. We'll keep the city out of it. And as he, he, he was so excited to bring his mom to church. Now, his mom was a faithful woman of God. A, 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 a person that would study, loves God, prays, prayer warrior, just loves Christ. As she went into this church with her son, she wept. And she said to her son, my son, that is not a church. Now if you knew this lady, you would know that she's not mean-spirited. She doesn't look for the, the, the wrong. She's not a sin sniffer. But she saw something and she knew that wasn't a church. Whatever it was, it wasn't the church. You see, brothers and sisters, when we become people of the book, we don't need gimmicks. We do not need golden eggs falling from a helicopter on Easter. We do not need smoke machines. We don't need easy cheesy. We don't need any of those things because we just need God. We want to encounter God. We want to know God. We want to know God. We want to love God and love His people. That's what Christians do. You know, during Christmas, during the Christmas season, uh, you know, you plan for your sermons for Christmas, you know, usually pretty far in advance. And after preaching 10 Christmas sermons, I have to tell you, I think to myself times, oftentimes, I think, I've already preached on that before. Oh, they heard me preach on this. Oh no, I, I've, done, I've done that too. 
I mean, how many times can you talk about the baby in the manger and Mary and the virgin birth? And, I mean, you know, you start to think these types of things in your mind. But I read a quote that was so helpful to me. It's by Kevin DeYoung, and here's what he said. He said, Pastor, yeah, don't get cute at Christmas. Just go out and tell them the old, old story one more time. Anytime that a preacher is put in a position where he's got to get cute and he's got to do things to make you coming back, that church, it's done, it's over. That's why we need the Gospel truth. We need to get jacked up about the Gospel and who Christ is and what He's done. we just got to be not just preachers. You and I have to get jacked up about the old, old story. Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes if we were to be honest and we start thinking that maybe perhaps if we were more creative or maybe we were more cutting edge, Maybe it would make people like Jesus more or, or like our church more. But what if we made this distinction or we went here for just a moment and we said, you know, we've concluded that, that Ron Gallerini here, you know, you're just not cool. And what we've decided to do is hire a couple of folks who are going, their job, their chief aim in life is to make Ron Gallerini, a.k.a. the rabbi, make him cool. You could throw a lot of resources at it, but eventually you're going to find out that Ron Gallerini is just not cool by the world's standards. One could even say, you know, you are who you are. And I would say it this way, that's exactly right. You are who you are. You're either a sinner that needs grace, or a sinner that has been saved by grace. You're in one of those two categories. No matter what we do, we could make Ron Gallerini something that he's not, but eventually you're going to figure it out. He's just a simple guy that likes to sit on his couch and read the Bible all day long. He's retired. And when he's not doing that, he's He's the first person to the hospital to visit people when they're in the hospital. I can't even tell you how many times where he tells me who's sick. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be the pastor here. And he goes, no, you're one of the pastors here. Because that's who he is. That's what's in him. He loves Christ. But we don't need to make the gospel cool. And I know I'm in an environment where I can say that. I'm not looking for amens. I just want to say it. That we don't need to make the gospel cool. We don't need to make the church cool. We don't need... We, 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 we need something though. We need to be made new and then go out and tell them the world the old, old story. So there's some things we don't need and there are some things that we do need. And one of them is to tell that old, old story. And that's exactly what Paul does in the verse before us, the main verse before us, which is 1 Timothy 3.16. That's exactly what he's doing. He's telling the old, old story. What is verse? I mean, think about it. 1 Timothy 3.16. It's the Gospel. We talk about John 3.16 as the Gospel in miniature. But this is the Gospel in miniature. This is the Gospel again. You heard the Gospel last week. You heard it the week before. Are you getting tired of it yet? No. Because you love Christ. Some of you, even if you've heard something similar, go, I don't care. This could be the day that my friend, this could be the day that person I've never met comes to a saving faith because of the gospel. So what does Paul do in 3.16? Let's read it. And most certainly, 
The mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated in the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached amongst the nations. He, believed, he was believed on in the world and then taken up into glory. I added a few he's there, but I think you get the point. It's the Gospel. This is, the, this is salvation history in six lines. Salvation history. This is so rich and so deep. That's why we've taken two weeks to cover this one verse. Look at the lines, Brian. If you could lines on the screen right now he was manifested in the flesh he was vindicated in the spirit seen by angels preached amongst the nations believed on in the world taken up in glory six lines the gospel front and center the gospel the crux the point the point this verse tells us about what christ has done in the first three verses. And then it goes on to tell us what you and I are to do about it. It tells us what Christ did. And then ultimately, now what? Now what? Line one says He was manifested in the flesh. In other words, we learned this last week that He appeared to us as a normal human being. He came as a man. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The second Man of the, the second member of the Trinity. He appeared as a normal human being. Line two, he was vindicated in the Spirit, but yet he was vindicated, but he never sinned. But there was no doubt that God, that, God, that Jesus was God's Son, fully God, fully man. He was proved right about who he was. He was God, but we're the ones that needed to be vindicated. And he did that. He was vindicated. And also, we were vindicated. What about line three? He was seen by angels. He was eyeballed by the angels. They watched him closely. They studied him. The same angels who watched him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same angels who stood around that baby that was in a manger. The same angels who were always with him. The angels saw. They had eyeballs on him. Line four says, preached amongst the nation. This is the results of the result of Christ's life and ministry. And it continues to be as the Gospel is preached and proclaimed amongst the nations to this day. This verse teaches us that this Gospel is to be preached specifically uh, to the Gentiles, which means non-Jews. To you and I, it would mean to everybody. That it's all level at the foot of a blood-stained cross. That the Gospel goes out to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The Gospel's to go forth. And it is. We know that from the day of Pentecost onward, Christ has been proclaimed on this earth. True? Yes, it is. Number five, line five, believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. What does that mean? That the preaching has been effective that it's been believed on. The proclamation of the Gospel is bearing fruit. The Gospel has gone, not everywhere, but just about everywhere. We're seeing fruit everywhere as the Gospel continues to penetrate those who've never heard the Gospel. Believed on in the world. Line 6, taken up in 
glory. This is a reference to Christ's exaltation where He's at right now as He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Where is Christ? Well, according to Scripture, according to Acts 7.56, He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is present and He reigns over all. There's no doubt about that. We know what He came to do. We know where He's sitting right now. I guess the question would be, what do we do about it? What do we do about this? We know that the Lord reigns over all. Well, according to the the verse before us, we know that we are to preach and proclaim Christ to everyone so so that He can be believed on. So people would come to a saving faith. So people would be born again. That's what the verse is teaching us. That we play a part in all of this. If you look at that verse, you will see a connection to the Great Commission. You see how it ties in the Great Commission. We can see it. I don't want to assume that everybody knows the Great Commission, so those verses will be on the screen behind me. I will read it for you. Matthew 28, 18-20. Here's what it says. Again, this would be the Great Commission. Jesus came near to them to the disciples. And he says these words, All authority, disciples, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, disciples, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember this, I am with you always to the end of the if you're new to Lakeshore City Church, you might be wondering a little bit about us. You know, what is your mission statement? Where do you stand on the issues? Well, there's information as you exit. You get a little Lakeshore bag and there's a treat in there and there's some really pertinent information. One of the things you'll see in there, it would tell you what our mission statement is. Our mission statement is to love God, love people, and to make disciples. Obviously, this is a condensed explanation of the Great Commission. The mission statement of Lakeshore City Church is a condensed uh, version of, of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That's what it is. So Paul says in Timothy 3.16, continue, Timothy, continue, church, continue, Christians, continue, Lakeshore City Church, to proclaim Christ. Proclaim Him to the nations. Proclaim Him to the world so that He will be believed on in the world. What is the intent? The intent here is the apostolic preaching of the Gospel. The intent here is after the presentation came the proclamation. After the presentation came the proclamation. Having seen the risen Christ, He came, He dwelt with us. First John, he tabernacled amongst us. He was with us. He walked with us. We saw him. After the presentation came the proclamation. The apostles preached the risen Christ. That's what they were known for. The proclamation of the Gospel. What Gospel? They preached the risen Christ. If we could go back for a second to the Great Commission. 
want to challenge you on something that you may have missed. You may have missed it. The Great Commission does not start with go into all the world and proclaim or preach the Gospel. That's not how it starts. The Great Commission begins, let's look at verse 28, 18 through 19. Look at it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What do we see there? Well, number one, this is important. It's liberating because the Great Commission is His. We play a part. He is the one who's going to build the church. He's the one that's going to build us, develop us, give us power, give us boldness, give us courage to do His bidding. We get the Holy Spirit. Anytime that you are converted, the Holy Spirit will be in you. You don't have to wait to get the second filling of the Holy Spirit. What a bunch of garbage. You are saved. You are redeemed. He made you new. Listen, brothers and sisters. If you are redeemed, the day that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, you are saved. You have everything that you need to go to war, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You have what you need. You have it. You have it. You will grow in your understanding of Christ. You will grow in holiness. God will reveal more and more and more of Himself to you. Of course! But you have what you need. In other words, day one, you're converted. You are capable of doing great things for God. You can. You can. The church should disciple you, but you're, God will help you. God will help you. So brothers and sisters, Michael Horton said it this way, the Great Commission begins with the Great Announcement. The Great Commission begins with the Great Announcement. Because only by believing in the sufficiency of God of the Great Announcement we ever have the confidence to attempt bold things for the Great Commission. One goes before the other, is what the point is. Yes, we go. Sometimes we go we're not even saved. Jesus did not tell us to build His church and to let Him know when we needed some help. He told us that He would build His church and He will let us know how He wants to use us in that mission. Praise God for the Word of God when it's clear as it is here this morning. I think that's the big difference. That God will show us, He will help us to be the people that He has called us to be. He's going to equip us. And how does God do that? Well, when you do the things that you're called to do, read, the God's, read God's Word, study God's Word, be disciple, get in community, those are some of the ways that we can grow. When we believe, when we truly that Jesus was revealed to us in the flesh, when we truly believe that He was vindicated in the Spirit, then we will do what He says to do. For He is Lord. For He is our Master. And we serve Him. He leads. We follow. That's what God's Word is telling us. So We talked about the mission. The mission of the church is obviously the Great Commission. 
But let me run this by you. At Lakeshore, we have a vision statement as well. And at Lakeshore, and the reason why I'm telling you, this isn't about Lakeshore, it's about the gospel, but I think this would be helpful to our church. That the mission, the, the, the vision of Lakeshore City Church is that in the next five years, we're going to be a growing, praying, equipping, sending church. Some might say, why are you waiting five years to do that? No, we're not waiting, but we want to be known for that. We, we want to start now, obviously. We, we are doing some of those things, but, but that's the, the vision. That, that's kind of like, what is the mission? How does that permeate throughout the congregation? What does that look like? What well, looks like what our vision is, that we are going to be a growing, praying, equipping, and sending church. If our jobs as Christians, if our jobs as followers of Christ is to share the gospel, and to equip you, uh, that's part of the job of the church or the, or the elders and mature believers is to equip you, I should say. Then you've got to put your hand up and say, I, I need to be equipped, I, I need to be trained. So you're saved, you, you hear the gospel, you respond to the gospel, now you need to be equipped, you need to be discipled. Well, one of the greatest things that we can do, and, and Pastor Larry has mentioned it already this morning, was to be, to be trained, be equipped on how to share the gospel. Uh, Cody and Garrett, uh, Cody and, uh, is it Garrett? Cameron. Cody and Cameron have put together a class for us. You saw, I mean, you heard Pastor Larry talking about it. And it's going to be on how to share the gospel. The details are going to be January 15th, I think from 6.30 to 8 p.m. There should be something, is there going to be something on the screen? So, if you're somebody that says, man, I want to be equipped. I mean, I really want to learn how to share my faith. I want to know, what, what do I say to my neighbor? What do I say to my coworker? You know, what do I say? I mean, what, what do I do? I need to be equipped. We want to help you. We want to equip you. Why? Because we want to fulfill our mission and vision at Lakeshore City Church, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's available to you. You can sign up today when you exit. When you exit the door, the very left-hand side, you can sign up. But if our job as followers of Christ is to ensure that Christ is preached, if Christ is proclaimed to all the nations, to, to the entire world, and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I see that, and, and I want to go to the world, but, but I, I'm just not in a place right now where I could just pack up and go to Bangladesh. I'm just not really uh, thinking that Southwest is going to drop me off in North Korea and hang out with Rocket Man. You know, maybe you can't get there right now but you love people, you love Christ, and you want to obey God's Word, but you got a heart for missions. Well, according to this verse right here, we all should have a heart for missions. But I want to, if you have a heart for missions and, and, you, and you know you want to proclaim the good news of Christ, you've you got this heart, um, you don't know what to do about it. Here's the good news. Lakeshore City Church is part of what's called the SBC. It's called the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a division within the Southern Baptist Convention called IMB. Sorry for all the acronyms, but IMB simply means the International Mission Board. International Mission Board. Our former president was David Platt. I think the new president is Paul Chatwith or Chitwith. But I just want you to hear this, church, because you're a part of this. You already are a part of this. Currently, you are a part of 3,692 missionaries currently proclaiming Christ 
overseas. These missionaries, think about this, these missionaries never have to raise funds for themselves. They never have to send you a letter. They they never have to say anything like that. They they don't have to do any of that because their job is to be faithful and proclaim the good news of Christ. They have full medical. Those that have children, they're looked after. They're given sabbaticals, rest, where they can come home. They can come home and get looked after by local churches. When they come home, their needs are met because 47,465 churches just like us support them every single month. We could do more together than we can by ourselves. And brothers and sisters, we're doing it. The church is powerful. God is in this. This is God's church. This is what Christ does, and He allows us to participate. So today, I would ask you to consider giving to our Christmas offering. We don't pass an offering plate around at Lakeshore City Church. But if you want to give to to, to this Christmas offering, if you want to be a part of, of getting the Gospel to the nations, you can do that today. You can write a check. You can go online. Just put in the memo line what it's for. Just say Christmas offering. And when you think about Christmas, I've mentioned this a couple of weeks now, but Christmas is it's not our birthday. And I'm not naive to think that Jesus was born on December 25th. I get it. I know how to read. It's the day that we celebrate it. But whatever date he was born, the date that we celebrate his birthday in the United States is December 25th, right? That's the date, right? But let me ask you to consider this. What gift have you planned to give for whose birthday it is that we celebrate? Today you can do something about helping the gospel to go and reach the nations. So brothers and sisters, I would ask you to bring it a little bit closer to home. One of our own people, a Lakeshore City Church member, is now overseas. I can't disclose all of her details. It wouldn't be safe. She's asked us not to. There's certain things we could share about her, but you know who she is. Right now, she's overseas. Maybe you think, you know, what else can I do? You can send her a letter of encouragement. It gets lonely out there. You feel alone. Some of us feel alone right now. Christmas can be one of the most joyous times for many of you, and it could be the most lonely time for many of you. Imagine being alone, far from home, maybe not seeing the fruit that you think you should be seeing by now. We need to be encouraged. This church can send a letter to Letha and encourage her. I can get you the address details if you just email me at charlie@lakeshorecitychurch.com. Would you consider putting Letha on your prayer list and praying for her often? Would you even consider that date that when she does come home, as she keeps in contact with us, how cool would it be to have a party and a celebration for Letha and say, tell us what God is doing across the waters thousands of miles away. We can do that. You see, we can't do everything, but we can do something. We can do that at Lakeshore City Church. Brothers and sisters, I would just say it this way. Tis the season. 
This is the season to promote the gospel. We promote it this season, next season, even when it's out of season. Tis the season to proclaim the gospel. So my question to all of us, myself included, my wife included, are you in? Based upon what you know about God, are you in? Are you a part of the team? Then jump in. Be present. Be a part of this Gospel race. Because we're better together than we are apart. 1 Timothy 3.16 is indeed the Gospel in miniature. Some scholars believe it to be an ancient hymn. They say this verse was meant to be a hymn. They, they, this was a hymn. It's what they sung. It was a hymn. Others believe it to be a creed that would, the early church would recite each week in church. Maybe both of those things are true. I, I don't know. Uh, the scholars argue about that. But could it also be that Paul is so moved by the Gospel that he simply just stops to write a poem could it be that? I don't know. Could it be that Paul is having a sweet time of reflection and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he pens these words? Could it be that Paul is overwhelmed by the kindness and the love extended to him by God? Remember, church, Paul did not pursue God. This was not a guy that pursued God. God knocked him off that horse. Or have we not read Acts 9, 3-6 as he traveled, Paul traveled, Saul at the time, and as he was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Verse 4, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says these words, Who are you, Lord? Saul said, he said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Verse 6, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Hey, no Lord's Prayer here. Not walking through the five steps, four steps, six steps, whatever. The Lord knocks him off of his horse. Paul went into that city and he was told what to do. He was faithful to 1 Timothy 3.16, which is to preach the word in season and out of season. He was faithful to proclaim the Gospel. At the end of his life, and I'll finish with this, Paul lived a life, a fruitful life. He bore fruit worthy of repentance. He trained, he discipled, he equipped. And he says something to his protege in 1 Timothy 3.16. Hey, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead and descended from David according to my Gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the Word of God, think about this, He is laboring for this young man. He loves this young man, his protege. He said, but the Word of God's Son is not bound. This is why I endure all the things you saw me endure. Endure all these things for the elect so that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Do you see what he was on about? 
not himself. It was Richard Baxter who said, I preached, Pastor Richard Baxter, I preached, I preached as never sure to preach again. And I preached as a dying man to dying men. Baxter and Paul were faithful to the old, old story. The Gospel story. And you and I, your pastor included, I am with you, brothers and sisters. He is commanding all of us to go and do likewise until the whole world hears. That is the story of this verse. Brothers and sisters, we can do this. You can start right where you're at. But as we sing this last song, sing as one who loves Christ. Sing as one that knows that they can obey Christ. Sing as one who is needy. Sing as one that needs help. And I promise you this, you will get the help that you need. Because God is all about His Gospel. And brothers and sisters, so should you and I. Would you please stand with us?